Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. again for the Hooked on Movies podcast. Today's movie is the final in our series celebrating people we have lost in 2023. The movie, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, released in 1985, is celebrating the actor Paul Rubens, who passed away on July 30th of last year. With me are Ken. That's my name. Don't worry it out. And Ted. You don't want to get messed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, a rebel. And I'm Eric. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. All right. B for effort. Nice job, guys. Nice job. All right. We are doing. I at least clapped. Yes, you did. That's the whole thing. You had to clap. That's fine. Clap, so. I know. I know. Way to participate. So we are doing Pee-wee's Big Adventure from 1985. Give us the synopsis of this one, Ken. Pee-wee Herman. Eccentric, childlike man loves his red bicycle and will not sell it to his envious neighbor, Francis. While Pee-wee visits his friend Dottie, the bike is stolen. Thinking his bike is at the Alamo, Pee-wee sets off on a trip where he meets many remarkable people, including waitress Simone and a motorcycle gang. Eventually, Pee-wee discovers that his bike is being used in a movie and tries to recover it. That's pretty much the synopsis of it. Yeah. All right. So the podcast is over. All right, everybody. Thank you for playing. All right. Ted, come on. You give us the particulars. I know you have them. Okay. The particulars. Pee-wee's Big Adventure (laughs) is directed by Tim Burton with a screenplay by Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and Michael Varhol. It has a running time of a brutal 91 minutes, a release date of August 9th, 1985. It had a budget of $7 million and a box office gross of $40.9 million. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a certified fresh critic score of 88% and an audience score of 79%. And the poor doomed souls who were starring in this movie are, of course, Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman, E.G. Dolly as Dottie, Mike Holton as Francis Buxton, Diane Salinger as Simone, and Judd Oman as Mickey Morelli, an escaped convict. Yeah, not a not a lot of big names there, of course. No. Um, that's okay. It's all right. So I, I got to start this one off with uh, with Ken. Ken, first time you saw this movie. Uh, definitely Cable when it first came out. So probably 86, 87, somewhere in there, between the ages of probably 14, 15 years old. Don't you picture Ken wearing the suit in line at the theater? Yeah. With the platform shoes. Sure do. Yeah, with his hair slicked back and the bow tie. That's what I picture. Doing the dance. Looking for kids. Doing the dance. dance. Ted? I saw this movie when I was a kid. I don't even remember the first time I saw it. (laughs) Tried to block it out? Yeah. I know. I know we're bringing back horrible childhood memories for for Ted. I was going to say, for me, I don't know. I don't know when I saw this movie first. Um, Probably Cable would be my guess. I 
doubt I rented it, but uh, I've seen it a couple times. So, actually, what made me want to see this movie when I was a kid was his TV special, his HBO TV special, where it's basically Pee Wee's Playhouse, but an adult version of it with Phil Hartman, which was pretty cool. Tell us about that, Ken. An adult version of it? My mind goes in separate directions here. It's not a dirty adult version, but it is. it was a play for adults. I mean, the thing that probably comes closest is he has a woman strip, has this little doll that basically uh, hypnotizes her and makes her like uh, get into her uh, night outfit. So that's probably as dull as it gets. And then he sends her back on into the audience. That sounds she was pretty spicy. She was a plant. She wasn't, a, you know, it, she didn't really get hypnotized, of course. But. This was on HBO, like uh, like an HBO comedy yeah, series say special? Yeah, it probably came out in 81, 82, sometime around wow. that time. It was okay. this comedy special that actually made it possible for this movie to be made. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Doesn't All right. sound like how one thing would lead to the other. Well, I think he, he was, um, uh, what is it called, the, the comedy troupe that he was with? The Groundlings. The Groundlings. Most of those people were in that that show. Uh, one thing about Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens is that he's kind of like Sandler, Adam Sandler in a way, where he gets his friends into his movies and his plays and things of that nature. He's very big on giving to other actors and stuff. And obviously the child, uh, the the early uh, 80s uh, Saturday morning show, how did that kind of spin off from a, an adult version of this? Well, it spun it off from the Pee Wee's adventure, the movie itself. That became the TV show afterwards. So it was kind of a comedy. Of course, he had to go into a more kid version. You could say this is kind of made for kids. I mean, the adults oh, can clearly, watch it. Clearly, clearly. But I yes. mean, it's definitely, you know, PG. You know, it might have some innuendo here and there, but not nothing that really just like right in your face, basically. But yeah, he then got offered in a TV show that was very successful. I wasn't a big fan of it, but at the time it was made for a younger audience. And by that time, I was probably 16, 17 years old. But he had a lot of great guest stars. And I believe uh, Lawrence Fishburne was uh, in that as well. So, I mean, yeah, he's the biggest star to come off of the TV show. Pee Wee's had, uh, you know, helped a lot of careers in his, uh, in his heyday. So, when did you stop dressing like him? Pretty much right before he he went to that movie theater and um, yeah, jacked off and got in trouble. I think he was trying to get away from his persona. I think he was trying to get away from Pee Wee because as soon as he got arrested, he told everybody who he was. I think he was trying well, to, he, to kill off that character. Anyone has done a little back history and the Mr. Rubens knows he had a few uh, tussles with the law in uh, some prior instances and had uh, some interest in homoerotica magazines, uh, collectibles. Uh, right, kind of an interesting stuff. read about you some know, of his a hobbies. Bit too much I, about I this do, I, I little bit, but I don't dress like him. <laughs> some interesting uh, hobbies and collectibles and and stuff that he uh, was known to have, and uh, came out publicly and said, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. There's no children in it. You know, this is just kind of some of the stuff I'm into, obviously, after CBS cut him off and, you know, the arrest and all that stuff. He made an interesting, an interesting comeback. Well, the show so, was still in syndication on CBS. The reruns were still going until, on at the time until this all until, happened. Until. You know, all that stuff that you said, he probably did. But I think he threw it out there on purpose. I think he purposely got arrested. 
I just think there's part of him that wanted to get rid of that Pee Wee persona. And you know, what goes on to other kind of movies, like Ted was talking off air, the movie Blow. He does movies like Mystery Men and tries to get mainstream, away from Mainstream acting as compared to mm-hmm. typecast as Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, because he doesn't really revisit Pee Wee till towards the end. A few number of years back, he did another uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and I think that was because... He got cancer, and I think he wanted to revisit it one more time. Maybe. Well, let's dive right into the movie here, Ken. Tell us about uh, part one here. All right, Pee Wee Herman has a bicycle that he treasures and that his neighbor and enemy, Francis, desires. As Pee Wee goes on a shopping spree, his bike is stolen, but the police are not overly concerned with the theft. Pee Wee assumes Francis took it and confronts him but Francis's father convinces Pee-wee that Francis wasn't responsible. Pee-wee offers $10,000 reward for the bike. Francis, who did indeed pay to have someone steal the bike, is worried about being caught and pays to have the bike sent away. That evening, Pee-wee holds an unsuccessful meeting of friends and neighbors to find the bike. He then visits a phony psychic who tells Pee-wee that his bike is in the basement of the Alamo. Pee-wee hitchhikes to Texas, getting rides from a fugitive, convict named Mickey, and from Large Marge, the ghost of a truck driver. At a truck stop, Pee-wee finds his wallet is missing and pays for his meal by washing dishes. He befriends Simone, a waitress who dreams of visiting Paris. As they watch the sun rise from within a roadside dinosaur statue, he encourages her to follow her dreams. But Simone tells him about her boyfriend, Andy, who disapproves. Andy appears and tries to attack Pee-wee who escapes onto a moving train. Pee-wee arrives at the Alamo, but learns at the end of the guided tour that the building does not have a basement. I didn't know the Alamo didn't have a basement. I was a little disappointed, too. That's the end of part one. Why would the Alamo have a basement? I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I already know that Ted lost his sense of humor. I was going to say, Ted, you didn't mention uh, Jan Hooks in your uh, stars. Minor part she has, but... She's in it's it Jan for like five, five seconds. It's Jan Hooks. All her dialogue, by the way, improvised. She is it really all, all improvised? All That's the awesome. Yeah, and she does a great job because she sounds she like she knows her stuff, and she's really into being a tour guide. So that's yes. pretty cool. Yes, she's cool. She had some inner demons. Talking about Pee Wee Herman's demons, man, she had some serious demons herself. And yes, she, she died did. very young. Saturday Night Live took a toll on her. Can explain to me, maybe you can, what does Pee Wee Herman do for a living? I say that he's a teacher. <laughs> he's a school teacher. That's Nobody. the only explanation I can have. He's off on the summer. He's riding his bike all over. I, that's the only explanation I have where he gets his money from. Your daddy killed his parents and he's living off of their money. Possibly. There you, there yeah. you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Trust fund baby, clearly. So. Because his whole persona screams pedophile. Wow. His whole persona screams special needs, clearly. I I, I guess it does kind of scream that. When you think about it, in this day and age, yes, it mm-hmm. does scream. Anyone who had that kind of persona would not nearly be popular, get, get a TV show, hell, even get an HBO special. I don't think that would fly now. I don't think, I think it would fly more now. I don't, I, I don't I know about with you now. Guys, especially with the acceptings of a, a lot of different type of 
ways of being. I think he might even be just as you know successful now as he was back then. I think what made him successful back in the 80s is it was just a unique situation. Nobody had really tried to do what he was doing. And people took it as kind of like avant-garde, really different type of thing. It flew with some people. And other people, as we all know in this podcast, it doesn't work with. But a lot of people did gravitate to this. He had a very, very strong, loyal following, especially after the arrest. People really came to his aid and, and backed him against uh, the network, against everyone who was throwing accusations at him. Uh, he had a lot of support, a lot of support from actors, producers, directors, friends. Uh, I was really surprised to read the amount of support mm. that he had because I remember it a different way when it happened. Right. Me too. I, and I remember it being a lot different. Like, oh, he's done. Write mm-hmm. him off. He's gone. You'll never hear from him again. Yeah, I remember And then he that showed that. up on the, the MTV Music Awards a year later. Yeah. Right. Heard any good jokes lately? Yeah. Well, I think it's because we all saw the prison photo of him. Didn't, it photo. wasn't good. It wasn't, it wasn't good. good looking. It looked like you would say a pedophile. Just... Well, if you think about it, okay, you have a, a beloved childhood character who is caught masturbating in an adult movie theater. Unless you're Donald Trump, I don't think you're getting away with that. You're probably True. right. Yeah, I mean, that usually will kill the career of anyone. Let's be honest about this comedy. Okay, first of all, I'm going to state up front, this comedy is subjective, and this comedy is not for me. However, I do, I do believe that when you say avant-garde, this is a natural progression of people who didn't understand Andy Kaufman's humor, and this was the natural progression for those people. I'm going to play an infantile character who's essentially a large man-boy and with no common sense and is just stupid. Whereas Andy Coffin was like playing the long game. His characters had actual character. Andy Coffin did things for shock value. And this is a natural progression of Andy Coffman's comedy for people who didn't understand it. Well, okay. if Andy well. Coffman's comedy, what did people gravitate towards when Andy Coffman was at his height of his career? Well, they immediately gravitate to Latka from yes. Taxi. Who was... But that's not the funniest stuff that he was ever basically, did. Who was basically Pee Wee Herman working at a taxi place. No, it wasn't. No, it oh, wasn't. he had that straight from another voice. Country. Latka yes. was from a made-up Eastern European country. Right. But He's he like was Delphi very childlike. He was very childlike, very innocent um, yeah, type of but... character. I, I wouldn't align him with Pee Wee Herman's character. But that's not I, the funniest. That's not the funniest stuff. That I'm not saying it's the funniest, did. Ted. I'm saying it's the most recognizable. Just it's like maybe Pee Wee's not the best, not the best thing that Paul Rubens ever did, but it's the most recognizable because more people gravitated oh. to it, and it made him a fuck ton load of money. Oh, twenty five million. Oh, more than that. I'm mm-hmm. sure after licensing and everything, if he owned the licensing contracts to. Uh, rights to all of the Pee Wee Herman stuff. He he made hundreds of millions of dollars. Pee Wee Herman doll. Like I said to Ted, where did Pee Wee Herman touch you? Show me on this doll. <laughs> it's just dumb. It's it's just lowbrow. It's but the not... kids love it. I was a kid. This was directed directly at me because I'm what... that of that age. And as a kid, 
I didn't find it funny or amusing. Which is interesting because most of the lines are what kids were saying back then in the 80s and early 90s. No, I I can relate to Ted. You know, I get I get that. And yeah, I, I probably said them too. But that doesn't make it funny. Did not think he was very funny. I'm not watching Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's a little past my prime. But even when the movie came out, it was kind of like, all right, well. But like a lot of cult movies, they grow on you. They grow on you. And at some point, you're like, all right, it's not so bad. But then again, with some people, they're like, that's a pile of shit. I'm not watching this thing. I get it. Comic is subjective. I think right off the beginning, I think where we come into his house and we see all his collection of things and how he makes breakfast. If you are already put off by that, the rest of the movie is going to put you off as well. I mean, we see yeah. we see Abraham Lincoln making pancakes, and he's got the dog there, and you know, he's doing childlike things. He wears the bunny slippers that go after the carrot. Yes. If you don't like that kind of humor, then yeah, you're not you're not going to get it. Whereas me, I I really like that. I probably would talk to my cereal and go, "Hey Ken, do you want some Mr. T cereal?" No, I put the food that don't let my cereal. And, you know, I probably would say stuff like that because, you know, I'm kind of weird. He like still that. does. Still so, does. Yeah. I just try to find, but I haven't found them. So, Ken, what did the while. Apple Jacks have to say to you this morning? <laughs> Apple Jacks. Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Puffs. No. I'm more of a tricks kind of guy. So he he was okay. So we 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 can determine. We don't know if he worked. Most likely not. Hmm. Loves his bike. He doesn't have a car. Doesn't drive. He's clearly someone in his twenties who lives alone. We assume with his dog. Gets along with his neighbors for the most part when he waters his lawn with like a bazooka, and rides his bike. And it's his his cherished possession, but his crazy that's not is that his neighbor francis i hate his uh, neighbor probably. worse than i hate him he's really well, annoying you know talk about watering <laughs> his lawn we had that little whatever that thing is like a water toy yeah. and so when we see something like that it kind of was relatable to Wee. so kids who saw certain things at the beginning of this movie could relate and that's why it was funny to watch the things that he was doing in with making the cereals is very Charlie Chaplin, Martin Times, like, you know, where he's on, you know, so there are things there that they're paying homage to throughout the movie that if you don't really like that at that point in your life, you're then maybe you ain't going to get it. Okay. But I I agree with Ted. Francis character was just annoying. Francis is. He's supposed to be, supposed to be the, the, the Corey Feldman. Seriously? No, you need a, he would have been way too young though. Yeah. No, it was, it was filming Goonies at the time. But he would have so, been way too young. Well, it depends on what you wanted to focus as a child. If Pee Wee Herman was the only child adult there, then that would make sense, right? It oh. didn't matter who who played how old Francis' character was. All right. And the actor, and I've got the actor's name. He's also in movies like Teen Wolf. You know? Yeah. And, no, I I recognize the actor. I just and hate he's the also character. been in. Um, he played the adult kid um, from A League of Their Own at the end when they're at right. the Hall of Fame. Just his face. I don't know. There's something about that guy I just don't like. You know? Well, I don't I know what it on is. on purpose. I think at least on the, well. No, I mean, no, no. I mean, even playing the adult life, son. you're just uh... Even uh, playing the adult son in, in A League of His Own. It's just something about that guy. I, I don't know what it is. He just annoys me. 
Hmm. You know, but he he played the part really well in this as a little fat bastard son of a I didn't billionaire. Do it bad. Yeah, it's, I know you are, but what am I? That's the, the thing. The sad is thing is, is they're both the same age, aren't they? Most likely. Yeah, most it's likely. whatever. It's it's hard to really put things together with this movie, to be honest with you. But yeah, there's, so, a, there's a lot of psych gags also in this. When he comes over to Francis's house and does the knocking, then he tries to fool the butler by by putting a knocker on the door while yes. he sneaks behind. That's funny stuff. That's very airplane like. We have type a of thing. very we have a very different uh, identification of what's funny. But he says stuff like. Go ahead and scream. We're miles away from where anybody can hear you. Yes. For whatever reason, those type of lines are funny in those situations. I, I'm enjoying it. I wish where, I got where to know. Pee-wee has a, a naked boy in his in the tub. Scream! Tub. You're miles away. Yeah. Actually, yes. my favorite part in the first part is when he goes to the magic shop, and he's, oh, he's yes. sitting there. He's looking over some stuff, and he's got the X-ray glasses, and he's checking out that lady because she's giving him that kind of weird looks. Well, everyone That's kind of gives like them the a most adultish look. thing that's probably in this movie. Tim Burton, who directed it in this movie and ended up directing Batman. There's a lot of Batman references to this movie. The guy who owns the, the magic shop was in Batman. You also have the Batmobiles in this movie. Um, there's another um, character Where in this the movie. When he uh, comes and visit Warren Brothers. Warner oh, Brothers? when he goes and visits the set looking for his bike. Oh, okay. Yeah, when he first walks in, you yes. can see the you can see the Batmobile yeah. driving by. Yeah. And then there was a, another character in this movie that um, actually was in the original Batman film as well. So there was just there's little homages here and there to Batman. I mean, there's homages to a lot of things: Tarzan, Hitchcock's Vertigo. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that they're paying homage to, and I think it's well done. But the Magic Shop is kind of cool because I. I, as a kid, I liked the magic thing. You like the, the little shop. head, human the, head, oh, big yeah, head, the head ah. the big, oh, you know, it's, it's just a, the trick gum and because trick gum is used later. And then later on, they use the uh, night vision goggles, which I think is pretty funny actually. But then the boomerang tie, that was a deleted scene. He used it um, later on um, in the movie. But uh, when they was uh, on the lot and he was in one of those Western lots and, they just cut that scene. So funny thing about me, I don't mm. trust people who wear bow ties. Mm. So you didn't cu- you didn't care for Paul Simon, the senator of Belmont? I could not trust Paul Simon, Louis Farrakhan, Art Garfunkel, wow. Art Garfunkel, my cat. I like the setup. I like the how the bike is stolen. Once the bike is stolen, all these other bikes that show up. It's yes, probably it's it's just genius. You got the mime on the unicycle. That just it just cracks me up. Total all the salt in the wound. Yeah, yeah. All the different ways that uh, Tim Burton is uh, throwing these, and I guess they decided when they wrote this movie that they were going to write the screenplay based on another book they read on how to write a screenplay, and they took it verbatim. Basically, the the script is ninety pages long, and each page is a minute. So interesting. They just went dot to dot to dot. You know the formula for a movie. I like this beginning. I really do. Somebody Ted? has to. <laughs> the thing is, is, the whole beginning of the movie where he starts off in the morning routine, we saw stuff like that in Back to the Future. I don't find it amusing. It's, yeah, he likes his bicycle. Well, you know, other than the fact that it's a vintage, uh, what is it? It's not a swing line. That's a stapler. 
Schwinn. Schwinn or whatever it is. I mean, it's it's a classic bike. It's probably very expensive. It would make sense that you would cherish something like that. It's, But ultimately, he's just a gigantic man-child. To me, it's lowbrow humor. It's going for cheap laughs. I think the movie was geared more towards eight years old, nine, ten-year-olds, preteens. It was definitely geared more towards preteens. But see, I was was that age, and I still didn't think it was funny. Well, you don't have a sense of humor, apparently. Yeah. So you don't like lowbrow humor is what you're saying? I guess lowbrow is probably the wrong way to put it. It's childish humor. I, I can't believe that you can compare this to somebody like Charlie Chaplin. I mean, not saying that what it's Charlie, what Charlie, par. what Charlie Chaplin was doing, one, he did it without any sound. They were gags that had to be done without sound. It's so, physical so, humor. So yeah, I'll, give you, I'll humor. give you a quick example. Goonies. Mm. We saw oh, how I they opened like up the gate either. and the Goonies. We, I, that, exactly. I'm just pointing out how this is related to Goonies in a way. Because when they opened up the gate with that gadget, you couldn't stand that. You didn't care for that. No, that was dumb too. But it's something exactly. that... But that pays homage to an, an older time of movies. And you think it's fine for a silent film back in the you know 20s, but it's not okay in the 80s. Well, because I would hope that we progressed. It's still funny. Just because it worked in the 20s doesn't mean it can't work in the 80s. And it can still work in the 20s now, the 2020s. There's no way this movie gets made today. No way. No, because I, kids aren't watching Saturday morning programming anymore. That right. ship has sailed. And I think that's yeah. part of why I think that's part of why I despised Pee Wee's Playoffs to begin with, was because I was a Saturday morning cartoon guy. I lived for Saturday morning cartoons, and when he came on, Saturday morning cartoons were done. I can that understand the, that. And plus, it was it was stupid. To me, Pee-wee, the natural progression of Pee-wee is SpongeBob. And just mindless. But SpongeBob's animated, though. Animated, you can go. But it's still mindless crazy. humor. It's still mindless humor. Most animation and, is mindless humor. Even like I, Adult I would, Swim on, you know, Cartoon Network. That's, that's mindless, mindless humor. I mean, I would mildly disagree that there are some redeeming qualities of some animation. And, but, there is a lot of redeeming qualities yeah. on animation, but I'm saying live action, you have somewhat limits to what you can and can't do, but animation, you can, you know, sky's the limit. Right. Especially here in the 80s where, you know, you don't have the technology to kind of get away with a lot of different crap. And so you have to rely on the star of the film to kind of make it all happen. Take it like this. Okay, so I watched this. I watched the movie with my daughter. She's 13 years old. So we're almost out of the range of what Pee-wee should be for for them. They like a lot of different type of humor as well. She thought it was infantile. And she also said to me, when we talk about this first part of the movie, what Dottie is smoking? I don't know. But my daughter looked at me and she goes, he's actually turning down a girl who wants to date him? As a serious question. He's an idiot. He should be in an institution. <laughs> I mean, let's be perfectly honest. He's crazy. He's a crazy person. This woman is actually interested in him, and he knows it. And he's just too wrapped up in being an idiot. 
Well, he's a well, man boy. Yeah. Why does he have to go out with Dottie? Just because he she likes him? He has to go out with her? Yeah. It would make the movie a lot more interesting. Why would it make it more interesting? I think it makes it more interesting that it he disses her. It gives a point. It gives the movie more... a point. Are you, are you leaning towards hardcore nudity or? No. <laughs> God, I don't want to see that either. But you want, Dottie's, you want Dottie's cute, cute girl. You know. Dottie's okay. Cute, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she's all right. I mean, now she's why actually she find, interested in him. Why she finds him it appealing. Doesn't, doesn't matter if he, <laughs> she's interested in him. He's not interested in her. He might know her since they were little kids. He just thinks of her as a friend. Did you ever have an attractive friend that you didn't want to do it with? I mean, come on. No. Come on. No. no. Well, I mean, no. I've had attractive friends I didn't want to have a relationship with. Well. So. You know, we don't know what kind of person she is. She does seem kind of annoying a little bit, too. I mean, granted, look, Pee Wee's pretty annoying probably as well. (laughs) But right now, he doesn't maybe care about dating. I mean, there's no other women in this film that he that he goes gaga over. You know, it's not Not, not even Simone, who is infatuated with him, too. Yeah, Simone gives him a little bit of a, you know, like a little crush there. And he just doesn't care about that. All he cares about is his bike. There's nothing that's the way the that. That's the way the movie's written, right? It's it's right. pretty much the Blaine bike. Phil Hartman, okay? The great Phil they, Hartman, if you want to. They, so. they missed an opportunity. There's a potential for a funny joke to have the clown that he ties the bike to be the one that steals the bike. That would have been funny. I, that would have made me laugh. The robotic clown? Yeah. My only problem it with the, the, uh, the clown and... His bike being stolen. Nobody saw somebody come along with like. Well, you know, you've already, you've already sus- yeah. steal the bike. Okay, you've already suspended logic enough that you believe this man boy runs around without a purpose in life. Let's don't try to apply logic to the fact that nobody saw him steal the bike because then the movie's over. True, and it's and it's shockingly stupid that he calls the cops and well, and and it's surprised that the cops aren't. Running I think out the cops are there the more crime. because he passed out. I don't think they're there just because of the bike. I think he passed out. They brought the little gurney there and, you know, and revived him back up. I don't think it's just because of the bike. Because they tell him they don't really care about your bike. So they're being perfectly they? honest. I mean, it's nice enough that the town, part of the town wants to come to his basement there. I guess he has a basement, not the Alamo. And talk about all his... uh I don't know, was he got like 200 and something odd uh, pieces of evidence? What, his little QAnon meaning? I, I actually find that again. I find that very interesting. I find it's almost kind of like Moby Dick. Captain Ahab's focused on one thing, and he can't listen to any type of reason because he's focused on the one thing. Folks, you've heard it here. This is the first and only time Pee Wee Herman will be a... Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure will be compared to Moby Dick, one of the most classic novels in American history. Wait, wait till I share with and you. And a great my Led review. Zeppelin song. Wait till I share my review. A mm-hmm. better Led Zeppelin song. Yes. But I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff here, but uh, probably the most iconic, uh, well, outside of maybe the, the dance, and we'll talk about that in the second part, Large Marge. You know, when he meets up with Marge, Large Marge, and we find out that she's a ghost. People talked about that for a very, very that's long actually, time. That's actually interesting. And it's like a very small part of the movie. But that's actually interesting. And you know, what that, you know what that's a reminder of? The Twilight Zone movie. 
when they're in the car at the beginning and Dan Ericker says, you want to see something really scary? And he turns and scares the guy in the car. I really like that. And I also like the Mickey character, the convict who, who went to jail because he had, a, you know, cut the, uh, don't cut the uh, label off of the mattress. Yeah. Remember those labels about, on mattresses? Uh, the, the creepy so cop stupid. that pulls him out of the car just to look at him in his dress. Oh, yeah, that's messed up. That's that's weird. really messed up. And then, and then he actually his uh, Mickey uh, looks him up and down after he's like, he's in yes. the car. He's kind of like taking a, a nice look at him. But I like Mickey's character. I just I think it's like that convict that's not serious. He, you know, this is a family oriented film. So he can't be somebody who killed somebody. Or right. hurt somebody. Mattress tags, right? Had right. Mattress tags. It's brilliant because we all wanted to cut those things, and as kids, we we were afraid to do so by federal law. By federal That's law, right. I don't know why that was there. It's not on mattresses anymore. I don't believe. Sure, it is. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't look at mattresses, yeah. <laughs> so it it takes something like that and something serious like a convict, and it makes it lighthearted. And I think that's what this movie is. It's very lighthearted. It's trying to reach out to inner kid, to the inner kid inside of people. It's reaching out for kids that are, you know, of a young age. The, the adults, it's trying to bring back that inner kid that we were when we were younger. And we were saying stuff like, I know you are, but what am I? Those lines that we hear so often in our childhood. And I think that's why it connects with so many people, is it does connect with their inner child. It's not going to connect with every kid. And it's not going to connect with every adult, as we see here on this podcast even but there's a lot of people that did the whole idea of going to the psychic and the psychic sending him to the basement of the alamo it's just just so stupid it's supposed to be stupid this whole movie is supposed to be stupid and it is showing that the psychic is not real you know plugs in the ball and lights up and smoke and just reads stuff on the you know on the building behind her Going through his wallet, knowing what he loves. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And stealing his wallet, too, I believe. Right. She stole his wallet because he says, my wallet's missing, and, and nobody probably picks up on the fact that that's really good, Eric. It's probably still yeah. at her place. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she should have yeah. been at the drive-in at the end of this movie. but I, we, you know, That's I, true, right? Everyone else was there, but she was not, right? But she lied to him. Yeah. Everyone else who was at the drive-in, one way or another, was friend or helped him. I just think some of the psych gags are funny. Like when he's driving the car and they're and they're showing all the different signs of how the road is going to be. You like that? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it's funny for me because goes off some, goes off the cliff and the convertible top saves him and floats him down to the road. Floats him down. And where is he? Is he in like a a zoo when he's walking around there and turns on his? I think his... he's just in the wild. It's brief. It only shows for like about like a brief like two seconds. Yeah. But you get to see all these different animals around him, and I think it's kind of funny. Go back to the signs. That is very airplane-like, yes. Uh, type of you know way of doing things. Hey, you're going to go around this wavy curve, and then they're going to make it more difficult and even more difficult. It pays homage homage to a lot of different films. It does that scene at least. Oh, so it's... Ted likes the one scene with Large March. So at least for about part one, it. that's all he seems to care about. The most interesting part. Yeah, Simone. You know. Eh. It's just like it's weird because for the most part, except find it kind of for Mickey, everyone he pretty much just like blends in like he's 
just everyday Joe walking around, right. you know, granted the motorcycle gang should have cut his throat and left him in the desert, but they didn't, but everyone just sees him as a normal everyday Joe walking around, which it's I like think is Simone's boyfriend. Cause someone, well, but, wants to but again, him, so. anyone who is going to be with Simone is going to piss off Andy. So that's, that's a given. I don't like Simone. Actually, one of my least favorite no? characters is Simone. She's, uh, she's just a little kind of, whiny a little bit she's just complaining about her boyfriend that she needs to go to paris and is she going to paris or is she going to paris texas because there's a paris texas so there I'm is assuming, a paris texas so it's i'm assuming that's hard. where she's really going hard <laughs> telling but you made an interesting comment that everybody treats him like he's just some something average yeah and i think that's a big failure here because if everybody else was in on the joke and they didn't treat him like he was normal mm-hmm. and like like what he does is normal that's funny because he's now odd and we're acknowledging the fact that he's odd and off but nobody acknowledges that fact and then you have an even deeper if you want to say that this is for the kids that it's okay to be odd but everybody treats him like how he acts is okay and that you know that it's normal what does he do that shouldn't be allowed to do? What do you, what shouldn't he be allowed to like do? Act like a dipshit. No, no, I'm serious. What should he not allow? You say, you know, he shouldn't act the way he should act. What is he doing that should be off limits? He's not acting like a normal human being. As long as he fits into a box of what a normal human being acts, that's that's well, calm what we're down, Barney. I exactly. mean, I don't know. It would have been funnier if people were not in. And not treating him like everything is okay and that he's not a mental patient. I think people look at him kind of awkward here and there. I don't think everybody treats him like he's God's gift to humanity. Um, Dottie likes him. Movie but... deal. Huh? He ends up with a movie deal. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's a fantasy movie. But I mean, but I'm talking about people that he meets along the way. Not everybody. Loves him. I mean, when he goes to the diner, the only one that really takes any type of interest in him is Simone. Everybody else is a little worried about him because he just rode with a ghost. And even the people that he is friends with back home, they walk out of him during his meeting with them. None well, of them it's stay. It's because he's verbally abusing them. So he's not being loved by everybody, like you said. They only take his they shit up to showed- a certain extent. They wouldn't have showed up if they didn't love him. Yeah, they're still his friends, but they know when to say, hey, you're off your rocker. We need to move on here. The reasons why people like him is because he's kind of innocent, childlike. You know, he doesn't say dirty things. He doesn't say bad things to anybody except for maybe Francis. And Francis deserves it. And the only reason why even Pee Wee even talks to him is because Francis is just trying to still, you know, get his bike. I think they try to do different type of comedies throughout the film you know you have your road you know buddy movie with him and the convict together and it's a short period of time but they have to elude the cops and there's just little things here that and they change it up quickly they don't stay with one particular thing very long and that could be annoying for some people and it could also be endearing because it keeps it fast moving one thing we could say here is the pace is really good about this movie it's a quick one hour and 30 minute movie Ken, why don't you take us into uh, part two of the movie? Okay. At a bus station, Pee-wee encounters Simone, who tells him she is on her way to Paris. 
She tells Pee-wee not to give up searching for his bike. Pee-wee calls Dottie and apologizes for his behavior. Andy spots Pee-wee and resumes chasing him. Pee-wee evades Andy at the rodeo by disguising himself as a bull rider. Forced to ride a bull, Pee-wee nearly sets a world record but is knocked out. He visits a biker bar to make a phone call, and a biker gang threatens to kill him after he accidentally knocks over the motorcycles. He wins them over by dancing to the song Tequila in a pair of platform shoes, and they give him a motorcycle for his journey, which he crashes immediately. He awakens in a hospital and sees on television that his bike is being used as a prop in a film. Pee-wee sneaks into Warner Brothers Studios with Milton Berle in Burbank and grabs the bike. Security guards chase him across the studio lot and through several active sets before he escapes. Pee-wee then discovers a burning pet shop and rescues the animals. The firefighters declare Pee-wee a hero, but the police arrest Pee-wee for intrusion at the studio. They return Pee-wee to the studio to face Warner Brothers president, Terry Hawthorne. Hawthorne decides to drop the charges and return Pee-wee's bike and make his story into a film starring James Brolin as P.W. Herman and Morgan Fairchild as Dottie. In the film, presented as a James Bond parody, the characters must retrieve their stolen motorbike, which contains an important microfilm from the Soviets. Pee-wee has a cameo role as a hotel bellhop, though his voice has been dubbed. Seeing the film at the drive-in theater, Pee-wee gives refreshments to the different people he met along the journey. He also encounters Francis, who tells reporters he is Pee-wee's best friend and that he taught Pee-wee how to ride his bike. Francis claims to be knowledgeable about Pee-wee's bike, but sets off one of the bicycle's gadgets, catapulting him into the air. Ultimately, Pee-wee decides to depart with Dottie, claiming to have already lived the adventure on screen. The end. Now, for me, that is the best part of the movie. Not not the ending. I know that's normally my sarcastic humor. But the uh, the, the remake of a story with James Brolin. Oh, yeah. That part of the movie I thought was extremely funny. Ted, come on. That was funny, wasn't it? It was. James Brolin, yeah, you know. the That was pretty funny. I know you are. Mr. Harmon. Mr. Yeah. Harmon. Yes. I, it's... And doesn't Paul Rubens play a bellhop in another movie he plays a waiter in the blues brothers yes yeah i know that the restaurant right i want to say he plays that in another movie dressed like that i can't believe you're right but but... i can't remember the name of the movie myself he has little cameos in a lot of movies throughout his early career one of the ones that i remember off the top of my head is a movie called midnight madness with michael j fox oh i remember that yeah he plays a um, game attendant who has a gun and shoots uh, tokens into his hand. But uh, I, I don't know. This is actually one of my least favorite parts. I, I don't know why. Maybe Seriously? A, why? It's, I it's think maybe perfect... as, a, as a child, I w- first of all, I wasn't a big Morgan Fairchild fan. I never cared for her in anything really I ever saw her. The only, the um, only thing I remember about Morgan Fairchild is the SNL skit with John Lovitz, you know, where he's, where he's yes. playing that, uh, the guy who lies constantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, my yeah, yeah. Morgan Fairchild, my wife, yeah, who I right. slept with. Yes. That's yes. That's right. Because James Brolin, at this particular time, he's done some stuff. We did Animeville. We did the review of Animeville. Oh, he was so. doing TV. He was doing like Falcon Crest and TV shows right. like that. He had, I don't think, built a great name for himself up to this point. And you could, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but. 
people knew um, who he was and Morgan Fairchild, obviously. Yeah. Right. Maybe there, I thought maybe it was a little bit much. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the overdub. Of the but PBA. now you can appreciate the humor in it. I can appreciate the overdub James is funny. Brolin. The overdub is funny. Correct. The overdub's funny. I'm, I don't have a big problem with it. It's just not my favorite part of the, of the second half of the movie. That's for sure. I, I like the dancing scene. It's probably the most iconic thing of the whole movie. Everybody and, was doing um, that when we were kids. Everybody. It's just it's just awkward that it happens at a biker bar. I don't think it's awkward. In fact, I think it's perfect in the sense that, okay, when he goes in there first time and, of course, says, I'm trying to use the phone, and they basically kick him out, and then he accidentally hits the motorcycles, the look uh, and sound that he makes on his face, that's great. It's perfect because he knows he, he fucked up. He knows he's in big trouble. Yeah, is everything else kind of weird? I mean, the last request is to to dance on platform shoes to tequila, but they don't really even like it until he starts throwing crap around, breaking stuff. So that's when they were like, "Yeah, that's that's our guy." So we have an interesting cameo in the biker bar too. Elvira, hmm. Mistress of the Dark, plays the the lady in the bar. Oh yes, Elvira. That's right. Good friends with, with Mr. Rubens. In fact, they show her picture in the magic shop when they first yes, walk in. You're right, they her. do. Yeah. I say you let me have them first. But I, I do like that scene. It's it is very iconic. Everybody I knew was doing the Pee Wee Herman dance. We purposely would play the song Tequila to to do it. And it was a stupid little dance. But people people kept it was. on doing it. Yeah. yeah. It was so it was of the era. I thought it was interesting to see the the guy that worked at the the restaurant. He had the shoes on when he took them off. He kind of like went down a whole foot. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And th- those things are pretty funny. And then a lot of people think that when he gets on the bike and rides through that uh, uh, billboard, that he's thrown off to the side. But that's actually part of the the billboard, not not actually uh, the stunt double that went through it. <laughs> stunt double, yeah. yeah. You caught their stunt doubles. Anyway. Um, you idiots. Before that part where he's in the rodeo, he doesn't remember his name. This is this is where again, Eric, you probably appreciate it. Do you do you do you know what your name is? No. Do you know where you're from? No. Do you remember anything? It's like I remember the Alamo. The Alamo and the yes. Odds. Yes. yes, correct. Yes. Is it the these are just little things here and there that make me appreciate this movie. It is kind of weird that he sees his bike when he's in the hospital on TV to go, and then he knows how to get it. And how he gets into Warner Brothers by sneaking behind Milton Burr. Out of all the people in the world to get a cameo from, Milton Burr? It's true. I, I would but, never have but thought. But think about this. Think about this. He needed a payday. A uh, big payday. You've got Francis, who pays some goon to steal the bike. Chicken's out. Pays the goon to get rid of the bike. What do you think the goon is going to do? He's just going to either scrap it or throw it in a dumpster. No. Somehow it lands on a flatbed truck across country and somehow ends up in California. See, this is where I think it could have been a little bit better. Maybe Ted would have appreciated this movie a little bit more. History of the kept, bike across country? kept on having the bike show up in different spots that he's at and they keep on missing it. Like when he's with Mickey... The bike is right next to him. Right. And he, he doesn't realize it's there. Let's say maybe the bike is at the Alamo, but it's not in the basement, of course, because there's no basement. But it, it passes by him and he doesn't realize that it's right by him. 
I think that would be a nice sight gag. I think if you kept tending to do that on and on throughout the whole movie, it would it would go a long way. Yeah, I, I would have appreciated it a little bit more. Stupid little sight gags like that. It had to follow the rule of, what is it, the rule of 3 and 13? Yeah. If something's funny three times, the fourth time it stops being funny. But if you do it 13 times, it's it's the whole thing from The Simpsons where Krusty steps on the rake. Yes. I think if you showed it three times, you showed it once when he's with Mickey. If you found two other times to, to show it, I think that would have been really nice to do. The, the one time it happens, I think it's dumb. Because it's there's no point of why he shouldn't have been looking over. Because then, then much, he would have chased the bike and moved you over. Yeah, yeah, applying too much logic. <laughs> but um, you also have a cameo here from Jason Hervey, the son yes. from the Wonder, Wonder Years. Years. Yes, as the uh, snot-nosed uh, actor. He's yeah, perfect here, right too. Actor. Yes, he is. Such, such a great And such rumor such has a... it he's kind of like that in real life. I, well, his career, yeah, what's he done, let's be honest. He did a lot of production stuff. He, I think he owns his own production company now. Okay. He worked with the, with the WWE for a while there. If WC, WCW. Oh, WCW. Okay. He's best so, friends So he's with done Eric nothing Bischoff. is what you're saying. Okay. Wow. How about some of the weird productions that they're going, that he's riding the bike through and being chased by security? Some of these lowest budget movie scenes that you've got like Godzilla Tarzan. and the beach scene. Tar- it is just. The lowest, but it's like C so movies. Dumb. What he should have been doing, which would have made it a little bit more funnier, is if they were going through production uh, scenes of active movies at the time. Right. That would have been a little bit more funny. Like when the Twisted Sister video. Yeah. You know, they're doing uh, the Burn in Hell video. <laughs> and he's, they actually originally wanted to get the Rolling Stones to do it, but they, they said There is no way. Good, good taste prevails, on, finally. There is right. no way <laughs> in hell. <laughs> <laughs> that the Rolling Stones would ever have applied their name. Stuff yeah, the Twisted Sister was probably the biggest name in in hard rock at that particular time. Uh, they were glam rock. Mm. They were up there. They were on the down. That was their big album, their Stay Hungry. After that, nothing. Yeah, yeah right. it, but, uh, we're not going to take it. You know. Yeah, yeah, but this is Pinnacle. What eighty three, eighty four. Twisted Sister. Yeah, eighty four. Yeah, so yeah. No, was, kind of on the downhill. But hey, you know. The Twisted Sister heyday was like 83. The L.A. hair metal was starting to take over at this we time. We can talk about that on our Twisted uh, Sister podcast, which will be premiering here. It would be a lot more that. interesting than <laughs> Pee-wee's Big Adventure. D. Schneider is a very interesting guy. But, he is. Uh, He's actually he is. very intelligent. Yeah, very interesting. But I, I, I thought how, that I was interesting. I how he stood up to uh, Al Gore's wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Made a fool out of her. Well, doesn't take much in the PMRC meetings, but... Uh, the Stay, Stay Hungry. Hungry album was released in May of 1984. And right. This movie was made in 1984 and released in 1984. Right. That's what I'm saying. He was riding the bike through an active. Right. And I'm saying something that was popular is at its peak here. Yeah. Not on the downside, at its peak. But they're, like you said, they're not the Stones, okay? They're not no, they're Prince. not the Stones. No. It's not, you no. know, Michael Jackson but, or anything. But, but they are the one of the hottest name bands at that time for well, sure with mtv people know who they are oh yeah right. we're not gonna take it as huge is huge so yes yeah. but again he's riding his bike through an active music video scene of a band that's popular at the time those mm-hmm. stupid stage godzilla sets and the 
beach scene but they and stuff. They are making those type of movies in the eighties. They are still making like Back to the Beach. They are still making kind of the Godzilla type of movies. Get in, the in stars. The 80s. Make it look more realistic. Maybe you know? so, but you also have a first time director and a first time star. You're not going to put a lot of money into it. I think they put six million dollars into the budget here. I don't so think they're going to go too much more. got like nothing for it, is what you're saying. You know, <laughs> probably got five million out of the six. Yeah, million. right. But, but I understand why they're going with the other things. First of all, they're recognizable. Tarzan's recognizable. Godzilla's recognizable. The beach movies are recognizable. I mean, and I, I like the fact that they keep on picking up different things, like oh, you, Santa you, Claus, the little. Yeah. Uh, it seemed kind of the grabs one more person for the chase, and again, it's homages to to other movies, and I think that's why we see it here, and I, that's what Tim Burton's trying to do. He's he's really big about the past. I mean, his first um, movie, um, small film, was Vincent because he wanted it makes uh, a movie about a person who wanted to be Vincent Price. He has a heart for the history of movies. No rebuttal from Ted. <laughs> sure. That's what you want to think. He does pay homage. I, I mean, I, I'll give him that. He does. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good director. For our listeners out there, it is very hard for Ted to find anything nice to say about Tim Burton. He's so. really thinking about this. He got lucky with Batman. That is also debatable. Because I think he was Batman not the sucks. reason Batman was successful. Yeah. Still sucks, though. Prince, Jack Nicholson, and Michael Keaton. Or the reason Batman was successful. Well, Prince? Yeah, I don't know. That's, well, that's debatable. And, and Christy Brinkley. Batman? Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. Oh, I'm, I'm like, Christy, Christy Brinkley? Brinkley. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I got my bombshells. Okay, okay. No, that, yes. Thank you, Kim Basinger. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I have Here we to go, this. everybody. Tim Burton. Oh, Jesus. Beatles. Here we go. Got, got, got lucky. Batman got lucky. Edward Scissorhand got lucky. Ed Wood got lucky. Mars Attack was very successful. I'm not a big fan of that. I know Ted's not a fan of Sleeping Hollow or uh, Planet of the Apes. Big Fish was well-received. I think Charlie and the Chuckle Factory is unneeded, but it's okay. Creepy is what it is. Highly um, unneeded. So, Same with I mean, Alice in Wonderland. He has really good movies here. So to say all this is by luck. If you, li- if you see this movie, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, and Batman... And Edward Sitter's other hand, and Batman Returns. They all had the same Whoa, feel to it. Let's stop with Batman Returns. But they Batman all had Returns the same. Is not as good as those other movies. But I'm saying Batman they all... Returns is the worst of the first Batman movies by no, far. No, Batman and Robin is the worst well, by that's, far. That's Joel Schumacher. That's a whole different. That's well, he only directed two movies. He only directed the first two, Dad. So, Stay focused, well, gentlemen. Stay focused. But I'm saying, I'm <laughs> saying, all those movies have the same feel. Tim Burton has a certain That's direction. Exactly. He's a one-trick pony. The one trick that he plays is not funny. Okay, but it does work for Batman. You can, and it did work for Beetlejuice. It extremely Here worked again, for look Beetlejuice. Look at the casts. Look at the casts that he's working with. He's working with A-list. Beetlejuice. He's working with three incredible actors. Regardless of what you think about Alec Baldwin, he is a good actor. He's an incredible and actor. Gina Davis is a good actor. Not saying and that they're not. And Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton is amazing. But is the feel of the movie a Michael Keaton feel of a movie, or is it a Tim Burton feel of a movie? Beetlejuice is a Tim Burton feel. 
It feels like a Tim Burton movie. It does not feel like a Michael Keaton movie. Simple as that. It doesn't I, feel like I would Mr. Mom. That. Oh, good. We'll here's, the, here's the thing. <laughs> Tim Burton is a one-trick pony. I, I don't I don't like his animation. If we're going to talk about what really catapulted Tim Burton into the stratosphere, it's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And you either love that movie or you hate that movie. And I, I, here again, I don't get it. Tim Burton tries to be weird and over the top on purpose all the time. It's a shtick that's old. It's played out and he is not good as a director. I might agree with that. It's gotten old, but it doesn't mean that it didn't work at one time. Edward Scissorhands is not a good movie. I wouldn't be holding that up as something that... It's not one as, of my favorite movies, and I love Vincent Price. Like, there's no more, and I'm a big Johnny Depp fan, but I'm not a big fan of that. But I am a big fan of, of the Beetlejuice movie. I think it's an incredible movie. Yeah, and, Beetlejuice is, is, is good. But, but you're saying it's only good lot, because of the actors that are in it, and here, I'll tell you it's because again, of the style. It's, it's good writing, and he, he wasn't the writer. He didn't write Beetlejuice. He directed it. And here again, it's when you look at the writers of these movies, too. Yeah, he put his thing on. But, you know, here's the, another reason that, that Batman movie is, is is successful. And I'm glad we're talking about Batman rather than Pee-wee, because Pee-wee's insufferable. But the reason Batman works is because Tim Burton is a dark director, and Batman is a dark character. That's why it works. So you are saying that... He did well in the yeah, Batman movie. It, it okay. was he found a niche right there that worked. Beetlejuice is a quasi horror movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's got the dark humor in that as well. You know, he's a dark humor type of guy. You know, I'm 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 not saying that Pee Wee's better than those two movies. I like the humor here of, of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I think I think it's a good combination. I think they work really well together. The part of the movie that he put his stamp on is obviously the large Marge part where she sure. where she does the freak out. And that's probably, like I said, that's probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. And actually, the that whole sequence with like the dinosaurs and everything, the coloring and stuff like that, that feels like Tim Burton type of movie right there. And then, I mean, it, it's his first time out as a director. We might not see what he's ends up becoming. But it's still a pretty good film, especially for the fact that you have a lot of no-name actors here. People have had limited screen time on the big screen, and he's making it work. I enjoy this movie very much, and I think we should go to the reviews. I think that's a great place to go is to the reviews. So why don't I kick it off? I go with uh, Sean Burns at WBUR's Art and Culture section, I guess, of WBUR. He says... This movie, it's basically a John Waters movie for kids, and uh, I think that sums it up pretty well. You obviously have to know the director, John Waters, um, but if you do, you can definitely th- see the similarities of this because this movie is geared towards kids with a little bit of an adult skew to it, but I can I can definitely see that. This movie definitely got me thinking. I hadn't seen this movie in quite some time. It's it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I like Paul Rubin's stuff post Pee Wee Herman. I like his acting in the movies he done. I've I've said many times that he was nominated, I believe, for a um, an award, television award. 
Emmy, Grammy, I don't know what it is. I can't think. But for Emmys, his, he's won fourteen thank you. Emmys. I think the only time he was nominated, and I believe he won. I'm not sure for a non Pee Wee Herman related character as the uh, sniveling nephew of the uh, TV president in the uh, sitcom Murphy Brown. I think he had six uh, cameos in that, and he was just incredible in that role. It was funny. And granted, you have to like the Murphy Brown TV show, but if you do, you're going to like that. And I highly encourage you maybe to catch uh, some some YouTube clips of that if you see it. But but for me, this this movie's a mixed bag. I, I don't hate it, but don't really like it. It's got one or two sight gags that I, I thought were really funny. But other than that, the movie's a... Little, little creepy for my taste. Just not my, not my thing. For me, this movie is gonna be two hooks, maybe two and a half, but I'm leaning more towards two. Yeah, we're gonna go, we're gonna go with two hooks on this one. Ted, I think you're probably gonna sum it up in one word. I assume. So the critic that I went with was Paul Anastasio from the Washington Post. The sum up of his review is. Pee-wee's Big Adventure isn't a movie, but a collection of found objects from the garbage heap of low culture. And I couldn't summon sum it up any better. This movie is just a it's a mess. It has no real point of existing. I don't find it funny. I, I'm glad that there are people that find it funny. Because people need to laugh in today's day and age. I will never watch this movie again unless I'm being tortured by terrorists. If I'm ever in a standoff situation with the police, this is what they would blare over the radio to get me to come out of the house. It's nails on a chalkboard. I don't like Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rubens is is an amazing actor. I think his post Pee Wee stuff, he did some of his best work there. I can't give him enough credit for his role in Blow with Johnny Depp. If you've not seen Blow, that's a great movie. And he plays an amazing part in that movie. But I don't get this humor. There's little redeeming parts of this movie. I It's an hour and a half of my life I'll never get back. For me, it's one hook. And that's being generous. I didn't think he'd give it one hook. I thought he'd give it zero, to be honest with you. Surprise. Don't give him any ideas. Don't give him any ideas. All right. Ken, take us home on your review. Well, first of all, I want to tell Ted that the part he was thinking about was Cheech and Chong's next movie. That was where he played the uh, desk clerk. Gotcha. So my review comes from Ted's muse, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert at the movies on their Guilty Pleasure episode stated, I was surprised how innocent, how playful, how truly eccentric Pee Wee Herman really is. This movie is not just a strange little man acting goofy. Pee-wee has created a whole fairy tale universe as consistent and as fascinating as Alice's Wonderland or the works of the hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. Pee-wee's big adventure is like The Wizard of Oz that kids could look at in one state of mind where grown-ups can enjoy it on a completely different level. Roger so I, was obviously taking acid at that time. Well, he probably was, because he probably liked it. I enjoy this. It brings out the kid in me, and I, I love having that little inner kid in me show up whenever I can, because I enjoyed my childhood. I like Pee-wee. He's, he's kind of got an innocence to him. 
And sometimes I kind of wish I was kind of like that, a guy who carefree and just can wake up and just have fun with his life. You know, he seems to really enjoy every day that comes to him, especially because he has, you know, something that he loves, like his bike. No cares in the world, apparently. No cares in the world. You know, it's kind of like the adult we wish we could be, you know, no responsibility, no job, no bills. The only thing you have to worry about is keeping people's hands off your bike. You know, and he's got girls that like him. What isn't to like about Pee Wee Herman? I enjoy this movie. I think it's a great first time out for Tim Burton as far as a full feature film. I think Paul Rubens is a very gifted actor. And I think Pee Wee Herman, the character, is a well thought out character. And I th- and I'm very happy that I had that as part of my life. The sequels weren't as good. Big Top Pee Wee wasn't as good. It had a missing element. You know, we were talking about earlier about how everybody seems to love Pee Wee in this movie. Everybody dislikes Pee Wee in that movie. And then you have uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday, which isn't terrible. It's just at that time, maybe a little too old to still be playing Pee Wee. I'm going to go with four hooks on this movie. I will watch it again and again and again. Who knows? Maybe I'll even have it playing at my at my funeral in the background. So with that visits my casket, you know, he can hear Pee Wee Herman's voice in the background. I'm forgetting five hooks, four hooks. What do we do based on? All up to five hooks. Okay, so you didn't give it a perfect score. Thank God. Okay, no, great. No, there's there's a lot more better movies than this, but it's still a very solid movie. Okay, well, we're across the board on this one. We have Ken who worships at the ground of Pee Wee Herman. I could give or take it. And Ted thinks he's a pedophile. So we are just across the board here. That's okay. That's why we all have differing opinions. Well, next movie, unfortunately, we uh, lost great actor, great TV actor, great film actor, someone that maybe a lot of people are not terribly familiar with. I don't know if he would be considered a an A-list celebrity at this time. And I know me and Ken love to debate A, B, and C celebrities, but... The actor Carl Weathers passed away, and we are going to be dedicating our next podcast. We were talking about movies, uh, which one to do, and we're going to go with Rocky Four. Of course, Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed, through all those movies, and the Creed series, obviously, uh, came out a couple years later, very popular. So we are going to review Rocky Four, Stallone, and Carl Weathers, uh, going back to 1985, same year as... Uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I would say this, not an A-list actor. Here we go. But a name that people know. People know the name of Carl Weathers. Either they know him from the Rocky series, Predator, Happy Gilmore, or The Mandalorian. People know the name of Carl Weathers. He's maybe a B actor, but he is Mm -hmm. a well-known B actor. Uh, I, I debate that with you. I think people know, hey, look, it's Apollo Creed. I debate that a lot of people do not know the name Carl Weathers, which is not right, but I would be surprised if 10 people, if five of them could name Carl Weathers. I would be extremely surprised. But that's here nor there. The man has passed. He had a great career, and we are going to be celebrating one of his movies. Uh, Ted, tell us uh, where they can find us on the World Wide Web. We can be found on Twitter at hookedon underscore movies. You can join us there for discussions on on movies and and look to see what's coming up or what's been released. 
And whatever podcast version you're listening to us on, whether it be Good Pods, Apple, Spotify, if you can, leave us a five-star review and write in this, write something nice. Tell us what you think about Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It just helps us get noticed. Tell us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And Facebook, we got a great uh, following there on Facebook, Ken, don't we? Yes, we have a nice little group here, and feel free to join our Facebook page, Hooked on Movies, discuss movies, watch trailers, just get into discussions about practically anything that has to do with movies. Cool. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Hooked on Movies. Join us next episode where we'll be looking at Rocky Four, celebrating the life of Carl Weathers. And as he always, dies. he dies. Too he soon. Dies. <laughs> Too, no. Wow. Well, maybe, maybe I mean, too here, soon. Here's the thing: any movie that wow. we try to pick from Carl Weathers, he basically died in it. Happy Gilmore died. Predator died. Rocky Four died. Did he die in Action Jackson? He didn't, did no, he? No, he didn't, but the the movie died. The movie, career, yeah, the movie is a bomb. career kind of did. Yeah. So we're not doing Action Jackson, that's for sure. No. There, no. There's a movie no one saw. I saw it. I saw it, too. I saw it for Apollonia, so I have my I, I saw it on ulterior basis, motives. I, I saw it basically because he was Apollo Creed, and I wanted to see it. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, this means something. And I'm talking about our podcast. See you at the movies. See you next time on Hooked on Movies. Mm-hmm.